Welcome to Out of the Arts with Beth and Amy. We will help you bridge the gap between an arts career and a career outside the arts industry. As we know, Beth has gone from a career in sound design to a career in training communications for state revenue and tax professionals. Seems like a strange pivot, right? Not as strange as you might think, though. Join us as Beth tells her story live with Industry Explorers. Visit us at outofthearts.com for more free job transition resources. Make sure to check out our services page for personalized support options. Good evening, Industry Explorers. Welcome to another live stream episode of Pivoting Industries. In today's episode, we are not going to be talking about how to start a career in a particular field, but instead we are going to hear how our guest has gone from theater into a non-arts job. So, Beth is a sound designer, production manager, and now instructional designer. She uses her editing and collaboration skills to create resources that nurtures teams' growth. How are you today, Beth? I'm good. How's it going? It's good. I have been binging on the Out of the Arts podcast in COVID times. It's really helpful to hear how other people have made industry transitions. And that's kind of what we're here to discuss. So usually I have my guests tell me their life story in a minute, but this is all about you today. So we're going to take like the whole hour to talk about your story and your transition. So I'm really excited and welcome everybody who is tuning in with us. It's good to have you guys tuning in live. So let's get right into it. So today you are a training and communications coordinator. However, you have a background in theater. So when did this uh, interest in theater start? Oh, I was in theater in high school. So, you know, 13. And I think like many people, it's field I just fell into. Some people are band kids, some people are choir kids, some kids are debate team. I fell into theater and I loved being able to work with a group of people and create something cool. That was the fun aspect for me. And that has really carried my career over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. So when you got started in high school, at what point did you discover that sound is an important, important aspect of any live entertainment? Like probably many sound people. I got into it because there weren't enough people doing it and it was a hole that needed to be filled. Mm -hmm. So when I started doing it, I did it because it was just something that needed to be done. And it was something they didn't have a younger classman who could start taking over for the upperclassmen. You know, that happens in high school. It happens in undergrad. You see that happen through a lot of academia. So it was just a hole that needed to be filled. And after doing it for a show or two, do you listen to bands? Do you go watch bands play? Yeah. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. So you know, there are parts where there are bands playing and, Sometimes when you see theater shows, like if you saw in the Heights, there are times where there are three or four people singing together and four or five pieces of music that are happening all at the same time. And it's just that feeling of magic Mm -hmm. and being able to mix those volumes and play with those levels and create that magic was just so cool to me that you could do it from an aural standpoint. So where did you end up getting your undergrad degree? I went to DeSales University in Allen, outside Allentown, Pennsylvania. And it, is it just like a Bachelor of Fine Arts, a BFA in theater? It, did you like emphasize in technical direction or uh, technical theater, I mean? It's actually not a BFA program. We ran very similar to a BFA program without actually being one. Oh, and okay. That's, you know, I will always raise to sales for their ability to turn out people who then work. There are a lot of people who I graduated with who aren't necessarily doing theater anymore, but are working. Mm-hmm. And they're working well within the fields that they've been moved into. And so while all of us haven't continued down the path of theater, Broadway, New York, Chicago, whatever, that school really does a great job of teaching you to work, teaching you to collaborate, teaching you to 
be a team member, to dive into problems, all of those things that we can take and transition into anywhere we want to go. They did such a good job of that. So it's almost like we're almost a BFA, but like one class short. So we are very intense PA program. Yeah, I, I think that's awesome. And then from there, you ended up getting an MFA in theater sound design. So were, did you kind of make your curriculum there or did that, was there already a sound design program in place? There, there was a program at Illinois. Illinois is actually one of the better sound design programs, at least from my perspective, because there's also the Cranert Center. So I'm big into diversifying your skills. I'm big into understanding not only if, if you need to know, I know you've done stuff about rigging. If you need to know how to rig for a concert, you equally need to know how to rig for gymnastics. Mm-hmm. You need to know what all these different things look like. So as a sound person going to Illinois for me was not only about knowing how to learn more about engineering, which was my weakest point, but also about working on musicals and straight plays and concerts. They have the the Elnora Festival every two years. It's a huge guitar festival. Mm-hmm. And it just takes over the entire center. It's huge and massive and you learn so much and you do so much. So when I went there, there it's a longstanding program. John Shanoff ran the program for 20 years when I was there and it has since changed hands a couple of times, but he, um, he really built up this wonderful program. And I went there very intentionally because I loved all the different things that they did. What does like a dragon sound like? What does a gnome sound like? What does a critter crawling under your seat and doing mischievous things sound like? And, you know, it's, and it's up to the sound designer to interpret those uh, artistic directors or the artistic direction. Yeah. And it's very, it's going to be very different in every theater and every house. If you go see a show, I was talking to someone recently about when you see Cirque du Soleil. When you see them as a touring show, that's one experience. When you go to Vegas and see it in their house and they have speakers built into the seats, you're getting a very different experience out of that. So sound design is is creating this world, but in very different ways, depending on like where you are. So if someone, you know, coming from obviously uh, training and uh, communications coordinator, it seems like it's very different from sound design, but are there other industries or jobs that are very similar to theatrical sound design? I actually recently had someone talking about how to get into video game sound design. You know what I've been seeing a lot of recently, which I, I didn't know, it's probably been the last year that I've seen a lot, is podcast editing. Oh, that's a good one. It is this huge industry that I didn't necessarily realize about but it makes tons of sense and if you again it's like the video game editing if you're used to the tools you're used to the concepts of what voices should sound like of what things should sound like if there's music in the background or whatever you're used to editing all that then podcast editing is great if you if there are people who do voiceover acting or if they need music mastering I know that that's you know, music editing and recording can be its own thing for musicians. Those are kind of the big things that, that I've been seeing right now. Yeah, podcasting is 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 uh, on the rise for sure, especially since last year. I'll throw up this ticker here. Check out the Start Your Career in Video Game Sound Design with Dwayne Douglas episode in case you haven't caught it. So... You also worked as a production manager for a community theater, and you say it's very different from professional theater. So what, is a pro- a, what does a production manager do, and how is production management different between community and professional theater? It was very different because when you are production manager for a professional theater, you are more so overseeing stuff and less so in you don't have to do as much necessarily but as the production manager for a community theater sometimes you need to step in and also be the stage manager and also clean the house afterwards and also make sure that costumes are taken care of and and you're not finding professionals to help 
do different things, but if there's not a costumer, then sometimes you're having to rope in friends. And that was a little hard when I first moved there and didn't know anybody. That was complicated. So it was very different because it wasn't like I had a budget where I could go hire all these people to do things. It was, okay, I have a budget for someone to come build my set. I have a director budget. And the directors paid for a lot of stuff out of pocket just because they're great humans. So it was just a very different experience in that, how it worked and how it functioned. Mm-hmm. But it, it was really cool because while we were there, we were renovating a hundred year old Opry house mm-hmm. it went from a performance venue to a movie theater back to performance venue and hadn't been updated in probably 25 years. That kind of reminds me of the El Capitan Theater. Not not that it hasn't been updated. It's just the fact that you can use that space for both live performance and to show films. Uh, Beautiful beautiful theater, by the way. Yes, absolutely. I got to be a part of that renovation. And as a sound person, we reinstalled a new sound system. So being a part of that and being able to help bring in somebody and work through the specs of what we needed, stuff like that, all that little nerdy stuff that I love, that was a cool experience that isn't a normal experience, I don't think, for a lot of people just hopping into a new space. So it sounds like production management and a lot of other roles on the community theater level require a lot more involvement because you don't necessarily have every professional that you need to make a production happen. But on the professional level, what exactly are the roles and responsibilities of a production manager? On a professional level, they are overseeing budgets, overseeing timelines, deadlines, making sure that contracts are complete. They're really that managerial position to make sure that everything has been organized, laid out, and Mm. will be successful when it comes to productions. They're not necessarily in every rehearsal. Sometimes they're more hands-on and they're in like run-throughs. And then they come to like tech nights and sometimes if it's an event house, they're less hands-on and they have event staff that's hands-on. It depends on what they're doing, but generally they're overseeing budgets, timelines, contracts. So it sounds like a production, a production manager is essentially a project manager. Absolutely. Yes. If you are a production manager, you are a project manager. It is a hundred percent the same thing. And if you are working in theater, you are doing project management. Why? Because if you are the sound designer, you are managing your budget. You are managing your timeline. You are evaluating the work needs. You are evaluating the process from day one. You are managing stakeholders. All of those things are absolutely true. Whether you are the production manager or working in another element of theater, you are doing project management. Any advice for um, how to thrive as a production manager in either community or professional theater? I think my biggest piece of advice for thriving in general is to remember the things that are going to matter. Ooh, what do you mean by that? My mind just went like seven different ways, but I, I really am intrigued by that. We get so caught up in minutia. We get so caught up in oh, this person said this thing, does this mean one, two, three, four, five different things? Do I need to fix this? How can I fix this? And maybe that person was just saying something. So I'm like- so guilty of this. We all are. We all absolutely do this. So while it's important to worry about the details, your contracts need to be right. People need to follow their timelines. The cast cannot come to rehearsal on tech night and still not know- what their lines are like you need to know what you're doing but at the same time if they've just picked up a new role and it's and they still have a week is it worth stressing about right now probably not give them a couple days then decide to stress about it later really figuring out and that's why that's my that's my tip because i i do this too what are the things that you really need to stress about and worry about those things That is solid advice. And I think back on my time, uh, or I think back on my mindset when I was in high school versus my mind, my frame of mind when I was in college versus after college. And I struggled most with minutia through high school. 
Um, it was really bad in college because I had a bunch of external factors, not even just school, but you know, you're in the dating scene that there's, yeah, I was entering the professional world. I was dealing with a, uh, you know, toxic person and there's like all these things. And it's so, it's so easy to get caught up in the minutia, especially when you are in high stress situations and, you know, you may not think where you're at is a high stress situation, but it is and your body's responding to it. Your mind is responding to it. So it doesn't getting caught up in the minutia doesn't happen as much anymore because Mm -hmm. like that is something you have to practice, right? Uh, a little stoicism or gratitude meditations or whatever your thing is, right? What's what's your thing, Beth? Uh, I use Headspace. Oh, oh, I have to try that. Love it. And it's free. There are, you have to pay for it to be able to do some things, but there's a lot of it that's just free. And it is so good to just walk you through. And it has settings for three minutes, five minutes, or 10 minutes. I cannot do it 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I, I also like the book, Don't Sweat the Small Stuff and It's All Small Stuff. Have you read that one? No. Oh, oh, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta check that one out. I can't recall the author's name right now, but that's a book that I highly recommend people check out. Getting back to you and your beautiful, beautiful life. You taught at a small college for four years. You were the theater arts program director for Kentucky Wesleyan. Is that mm-hmm. how you Wesleyan College, what is your proudest, biggest, or most lasting impact on that program? Well, probably my biggest impact is building their theater space that's housed within the, within, on campus. There was this huge lecture hall and they, when I got there, the staff, if any staff sees this, they're just going to laugh because they know what this was like. The staff said, oh, this is supposed to be our theater. And it was a decent sized lecture hall. And by big lecture hall, I don't mean like big school, big lecture hall. I mean like huge classroom. I can only imagine like, I I went to Cal State Fullerton, so I can only imagine going to the Mahalo Hall, uh, the business school and have putting on a production in one of those lecture halls. I I don't know if the, I, I don't know the dimensions of that space, but Uh, It sounds like it was kind of a almost laughable situation. So there's a couple of things that came back up for my life. And and I will always tell you, no matter what you're doing in life, it will help serve you later. Mm -hmm. No matter what it is, it will come back later. Love that. Sorry. I'm so excited. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm so excited. I feel Uh, it in my core because I have like, usually I don't have life regrets, but the more that I do these with, with people, I think to myself, oh man, you know, I, I, I took my college experience for granted. I took my time at working for Disneyland as a tech services cast member. I took that for granted. If I could go back, just having the knowledge today, you know, that I have today and I can take it back with me and, and do some of that over again, I, I would not have taken those experiences for granted. And, you know, sometimes you're in a position where you feel like you're just going through a stepping stone or you feel like, oh, I don't want to be here. I hate it here. I, I got to move on, which whatever, whatever your situation is. But no, you're absolutely right. No matter where you are, it's preparing you for the next thing. So even if you are, you can't wait to get to that next thing, like don't take that experience for granted. And we don't know this in our 20s. We don't know this at 19. We don't know this at 22. You know, yeah. <laughs> so maybe we learn it later 20s. But yeah, we don't know this. And that's normal. Nobody knows this at 19 or 20. So it happens. We're all in the same boat. It's cool. So if you're 19 or 20, just listen, listen to us. Like I almost said old ladies, but we're not that old. We're not. I'm old when I'm dead. (laughs) Anyway, I, I, I think uh, it's just to go on a little tangent here. I think every stage in life is beautiful in its own way right? I think our culture, our society puts so much emphasis on youth. And like, it's, it's awesome being in your 20s. I I freaking love it. But 
thirties is, is a, is another beautiful stage in life. Yep. Your forties is a beautiful stage. Your fifties, your sixties, your seventies. Like I think it's all beautiful and, and you just, you keep gaining more and more wisdom. Right. So that's just, that's my own little, I'm going to step off my soapbox now. <laughs> no, it's totally true. Every stage is going to give you something different, but we also need to remember not to be too hard on the younger people who are going through things. Like, I really want to look at my nieces and say, oh my God, stop doing this. This doesn't matter. Move on. Yeah, I feel that. that. So, so what, what, sorry, what was that lasting or the Im- impact that you had as the uh, theater arts director or theater arts program director? It was um, building the stage. And the things that came oh. back to serve me were my undergrad, which started in the basement of the main hall. So they put on productions in like this lecture hall that was not meant to be something. So so that came back to me and I was like, okay, they built their theater program out of nothing. So if they can do it, it's cool. I'm going to be here. I'm going to do the best I can while I'm here. And I'm going to build something. And then when I was in graduate school, I actually worked on a show that was in some random space in Chicago. But it was like this old building and you went up two floors and it was just this big room that they used as a theater. And so I thought, okay, if that room can be a theater, this room can be a theater. We can make this into something. And my students will know how to work with little stuff, but they'll know how to use a light board. They'll understand how to use QLab, which is a tool for sound designers. They'll have a stage. They'll understand. They'll have a stage manager. They'll understand costumes and all the different elements that need to go into it. Someone will sell tickets. I, even though it was a small space, I wanted them to have a space that was theirs. And the school was willing to help support that. They wanted that as well. They said, okay, how much money do we need? And so I had to do a proposal for that. Way to work on it. But we made a space that is then theirs. And so even though I'm not there anymore, and the new guy who's taking it over is great. He's a very wonderful guy. And I don't think they use it as much. They use a space in the area, um, one of the performance venues in town that they built a new relationship with, which is great. So they're not using it the same way, but they, the students still have that space to do with whatever they want to do to learn, to grow, to fail and do something different. Did you foster a culture of ownership um, uh, amongst the students like once you um, were able to build and provide this space for them to experiment and and work on their craft did you like really instill in them that like this is your space this is for you take ownership of it take care of it use it love it yeah and they would I mean, we had great experiences and we had not great experiences as every theater program does. I had, they, they were the lighting designers. So if something was going good or something was going bad or the light board crashed and they had to reset the show, they're in charge. Mm -hmm. And, And I was the director and I was there to support them. And sometimes I wasn't the director. You know, they did a junior senior seminar where they could kind of pick what they wanted to do, whether they wanted to do an analysis or if they wanted to put up a performance, whatever. This is, this is their thing. And I know a couple of them did do productions mm-hmm. and it was his, you know, I showed up a couple of times. I said, do you need anything? I helped with costumes cause he needed help with that, but it was his. And I, and I hope I don't, I guess I don't know this. I hope. And I think that that has continued to serve them. I hope so too. I really do. It sounds like the like the steps that you've taken through your career in theater started with like a very niche skill set, right? Your your niche was sound and sound design. And then you started to expand more and more and more and then you entered into the education, you know, higher education um realm. I need a better word than realm. I feel like I use that too much, but it's like, it's like you, you started very focused in on, on a particular skill set, and then just kept expanding. And then as you were expanding, you had to take on different kinds of responsibilities, like 
you know, writing those proposals and, you know, I don't, did you ever have to like write, do grant writing? Very little, very little, but yeah. it, it did help like my transition into training and communications coordinator position. Mm-hmm. I was very fortunate in that my path and dots connected very, very prettily. Mm-hmm. Very, um, it yeah. was a very smooth process for me. It's not like I woke up as sound designer Beth one day and said, you know what? I want to go into communications director positions. I didn't wake up one morning and decide, oh, I want to go into accounting. I didn't have to make a huge leap. So I, for me, I was very fortunate for that. It, it, again, everything serves you later. So, but even if I did try to make the leap to accounting, I had budgeted shows. I had budgeted, you know, teams. I had budgeted events, stuff like that. So I could have made that leap. It just would have been different. So that, that, that makes sense. But, and I'm so curious now, what made you want to transition from theater to training officer for the Tennessee Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse. Now no. that sounds like a big gap to me. That sounds like two completely different industries. Mm-hmm. How? What was that transition like? No, it's not at all because because I had gone from teaching theater to teaching HR essentially. Okay. So it's just teaching. Teaching is teaching is teaching, and coming from a theater background, I wasn't afraid to ask them for their perspective or ask them to draw something or ask them, okay, if this is going to be the most extreme conversation, what does that look like? It it didn't bother me to have them think outside the box mm-hmm. because theater is all about designing worlds and finding where different people and things fit into those worlds. And so I was very comfortable doing that. And I think that that then continues to serve me in training positions. What are some of the core fundamentals of training or education? Meeting people where they are. Above that is being able to build a relationship. Because if you can't build relationships, you can't find out where they really are. Mm -hmm. You're going to get where they think that you want them to be, which is not helpful when trying to figure out how to get them where they are to where you need them to be. Right. So if you can't build a relationship, A, you can't find out from the subject matter expert where people need to be. What is the real information that I need to make sure these people understand? And you're not going to understand from the people who are, who you're teaching where they're starting. Because they're not going to want to tell you because you don't have that relationship. So building relationships and being able to communicate across a variety of people are really going to be your core tenants for being able to do training. Uh, That's, yeah, absolutely. Because everybody is starting in a different place, especially with adult learning. And everybody learns differently. And people mm-hmm. learn at a different at different pace levels or paces, you know, yes. um, and and even that can change depending on what concepts are, you know, you need them to grasp. So that's that is a very solid solid fundamental. I I don't know what I was expecting you to, you know, share with us today, but like that is absolutely an important aspect of teaching. Um, no matter where you're doing it, like no matter what the context is, right? Because if you are just teaching without checking in with your students, you may be leaving people behind. And that's not the point of teaching. The the point is to to get people to where they need to be, as Beth said. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. (laughs) So I, I... with stalking you on LinkedIn, of course, in preparation for this. And I see that after only eight months, you then became the training and communications manager for the Tennessee Department of Revenue, Mm -hmm. which is your current position. Can you share with us a typical day or week, month or project? 
I, I hate the question like, oh, what's a typical day for you? Because, you know, especially coming from theater, it's like, well, no one day is the same. I can tell you what what a, what what a load in is like. I can tell you what how a project works from beginning to end. But even then, there's so many variables. But can you kind of uh, tell us what it's like being a training and communications manager? So up to this point, there had been no kind of consistent, but it had very much been like a show because we were developing a new system for the Department of Revenue. So there is a new software being used. And we were, every year we would take a group of taxes and pull it into the new system from the old system. So every year you have your first meeting where it's, okay, what are we doing and what are the goals? Similar to theater. You have meetings in the middle where you're checking in, okay, how is this being developed? Is this paint the right color? But instead of the paint, you're looking at the computer screen. Mm -hmm. So you're doing all these check-ins the same way. You have a dress rehearsal for the weekend where things actually move over. And then you have the weekend where it goes live. So in the show, it's a show. And again, if you are working in theater, you are doing project management. That is, that's what this is. So that had been my life for the first two and a half years was, was doing these different sections. Mm -hmm. And in the last six months, we've kind of stabled out. We are doing an upgrade. So I'm kind of back in that life where we are. We're looking at paint right now where we're evaluating, is this costume, this the right costume, the, um, does it look right? You know, they have all the drawings and stuff like that. So we're kind of in that phase of right. upgrade. Um, so that's where I am right now. A lot of what I'm doing is taking needs assessments from okay. different people within the department where a director will probably say, oh, I have this team, they're working on this, they really don't get it. Can you help them understand? And so I'm then that middle person between the director saying, this person needs more information and actually getting this person or this team that information that they need. And is the software that you referred to earlier, is that the LMS software? Yes, it is. It's also our learning management system. Can you um, share with our listeners what a learning management system is for those who don't know? So a learning management system will track all classes and you can track not only what classes people have attended that are face-to-face or virtual classes, you're also tracking workshops and things that they've taken online by themselves. So if they have done, if you have an online module where they're answering questions, they have to pass a quiz at the end, stuff like that. Like you can track all of that within the learning management system. So you can pull reports, you can see who's done what, who's passed what certification, stuff like that. Does the Department of Revenue have programmers or like an IT department responsible for building um, like the back end of that, like the the website development or the, you know, the module development, like just as as far as how the technology works and, and um, the user interface, or are you guys using um, like a private company's pre-built software, then you just plug in your modules for, you know, what the Department of Revenue requires? We create, we have a mixture of both. So there are some things that the system works this way all the time. This is just what the system does. So we have some modules that come with the system because this is just what it does. And then there are some that we create in-house. We use Captivate, which is, I think, an Adobe system. Adobe runs the world. Adobe does everything. There's Adobe audio editing. There's Adobe everything. We know this. Mm -hmm. So we use Captivate to create modules when we're creating them in-house. It's a little bit of both. We do have developers who work behind the scenes when needed, but they're, and it's a mixture of both vendor and in-house and they are, but they're more so focused on creating the system as a whole and updating the system as a whole. They don't really work with the learning management system much. That does make sense. And for anybody who is watching this, we are going to have a guest talk about starting a career in technology and development. That's our show with Chris Jenkins on February 4th. 
I have a developer who I work with who has a background in music and she's probably, don't hate me if anyone else sees this, she's probably one of my favorite developers because she communicates the best. She doesn't just developer speak to you. She doesn't talk about tables and weird things. She says, okay, well, this is happening here. She speaks real English to me. She speaks, you know, business person and not just developer speak. So if, again, swapping careers, moving from one place to another, great. Yeah, that's actually really a great point. And I was also going to say that hearing you talking about learning management systems and talking about development and working with the developers, you know, if I were in high school listening to this, I would be thinking like, do I need a computer science degree? Do I need to study technology? Do I need to study this, that, or the other? And it's like, uh, not necessarily, like it depends on what you want to do, but you know, you know, you come from the, you come from technical theater and it's totally not development. It's not web development. It's not it structure, but you know, you've learned so much about project management and you've learned so much about how to communicate with people. Um, and that's really served you in the position that you're in today. And it allows you to talk to different departments who, you know, you know, uh, you know, you may not understand. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, uh, like, you know, it's like you have the ability to talk to the marketing department, the, you know, project managers, the IT department, and and vice versa, right? Communication is such a huge, huge skill for people to have, especially if you're transitioning into other, other industries. And this is a perfect segue for the Out of the Arts podcast, because you guys address these very concepts. You, you know, I'm just going to read what I have here. Uh, I've, uh, like I said, I've been binging your content. I love it. And I highly recommend it for events and entertainment workers to check out the out of the arts, pro- uh, wow, words, the out of the arts podcast and your blog. Um, you actually have a website. It's out of the, uh, out of the arts podcast.com, right? It's just out of the arts.com. Oh, out of the out. Wow. Oh my gosh. I don't think I've said this out loud so many times and it's a tongue twister apparently. Try saying out of the arts five times fast. Go, Bev. Out of the arts, out of the arts, out of the arts, out of the arts. All right. I need to work on my communication, I guess. So um, I also say it a lot. Like I say this (laughs) a lot. I don't know that this is a fair evaluation. Right, right. So you guys, um, you're here to bridge the gap between arts careers and non-arts professional careers by identifying transferable skills, examining overlapping interests, promoting creatives in the workplace and incorporating arts into civic engagement out of the arts aims to help communities and individuals thrive. And if I may, I would like to suggest the, our, our uh, industry explorers to check out some of these episodes. There's the top nine performer skills easily transferred to non-arts jobs, top nine stage manager skills easily transferred to non-arts jobs, building a standout resume from production management to project management, building a standout resume from performance to customer service, steps to a successful job transition and landing the job interview skills. Those are the ones that I have recently binged and I thought they were like spot on, spot on. And communication is one of the transferable skills that you guys uh, talk about repeatedly. Yes. I would, I, sorry, I, I don't have a specific question for out of the arts, but I would love to just let you say whatever you want to promote your podcast. Cause I, that, you know, doing the live streams is kind of, you know, it was a response to seeing all my friends at Disney, um, you know, uh, get laid off yes. recently. And, you know, some, some of my friends stayed, some of them, you know, got to, or some of, some of my friends were, were laid off. Some of them stayed and then got laid off in the second wave. So it was just, it's a lot of emotions and it's a lot of, um, stress. And I just, I don't work there anymore. So I didn't have to go through this, but it, I, you know, seeing your friends go through this is, is hard. It's hard to watch. So I wanted to, do the live stream with industry explorers to help um, entertainment and events professionals, you know, help them transition into another industry if they so choose. So 
I will let you take it away. Talk about the Out of the Arts podcast. So Out of the Arts is an organization I started with Amy Shake, who I have known since I was 19 years old. We became friends. We were both teaching at Camp Balabay. We were teaching at an arts camp. And we both, within the last, probably the last five to eight years, we've both transitioned into jobs outside of arts industries. And we've constantly had this conversation where we didn't feel like there was a safe space to just go and question our lives. Because when you are changing careers, no matter what you're changing from and to, you, it is an emotional journey, exactly as you were saying. It's an emotional journey. It is a lot of mental work. And you really need to find people who will advocate for you and help you make connections into new places. So we consistently were having those conversations and it was in June or July. We were like, we're starting something. And <laughs> like all small groups, I guess, we tried to start everything all at once and and have maneuvered around. And yeah. so what we've decided to land on is we'll have a blog post continue to come out bi-weekly, once a month, something in that range. We're going to do podcasts weekly where you can hear either just advice from me and Amy about what we think will help you and serve you as you're thinking through this and working through this. Or you can hear stories like what you're hearing today where people have made transitions into other fields. Um, I have Claire Friday will be on, on Monday and she talks about going from stage management into event management. And then we have Ben Jacobson the next week, who was sound design and dramaturgy into now lawyer. Mm-hmm. So uh, I actually think we know probably a lot of people who have gone into law, which is a really interesting correlation. I hope that there's a study one day about that. Yeah, that is really interesting. Um, and what is dramaturgy? Dramaturgy is the study of, oh, I'm going to butcher this, something in the vein of studying plays to understand the time period and understand things that are going to matter down the road. The dramaturg does a lot of work on the front end to analyze the play, words that are obscure, sayings, why things were important, period, stuff like that. The uh, Google, the definition um, that I just Googled oh, good. Yeah. is because um, because I, I had a feeling it was something along the lines, but I also wasn't quite sure how to say it exactly. So the definition is a dramaturge. Or, yeah, I said that right. Cool. Is a literary editor on the staff of a theater who consults with authors and edits test texts. So, you know, like you were saying, um, studying the period and studying the, the words throughout. And, you know, this person may also um, consult with like costuming or it's it's they they really study the, the like they really just they analyze and pick apart the script. Right. Yeah. So. To, so like, I've never thought of this before, but it actually makes sense for someone to go from that into, uh, into law, right? Because yeah. in law, yeah. you're, you're picking apart these, you know, documentation, you're picking apart, you know, your it's different studies, uh, law, text, um, you know, exhibit A and exhibit B. Um, analysis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So that's so funny. I never would have thought about someone making that transition, but when you really think about it, it it makes sense. I'm going to, I can't wait for that episode to come out. Actually. I'm very intrigued to hear his story. And our hope is, you know, at this point we're, we're offering basic services for people. If you need help with your resume, if you need help with the cover letter, if you need help just figuring out, you know, if you need a job for now, if you need a job, you know, you're looking at making a more permanent transition, whatever that is, we don't want people to feel like, they are pigeonholed with talking to us or, or looking at our content or whatever. We don't want you to just leave the arts just because maybe right now you've lost your job. We want you to have a job that is serving you, whatever that means. I ended up leaving because I wanted something where I had more stability in my like nine to five. Like I wanted carved out time for work and then not work. 
and I didn't feel like I could get that in this industry anymore. And so my job was not serving my life. So we want you to have that, whatever that means for you. If that means being in a creative field, staying as a sound designer, but maybe you move over to podcasting. Cool. Let's talk about it. Maybe I can help connect you with somebody. We want you to have, again, a job that serves you. So however we can help that happen, that's what we want. And hopefully the podcast is a great way for people to feel like they're not alone Mm -hmm. and understand that there are resources and there are people out there who are there to help I absolutely love your mission and I love um, consuming all of your episodes and your blogs. It's, it's really just, um, I guess, altruistic. And, um, you know, you mentioned having a safe space to talk about these transitions and to talk about the emotions of going from one industry to another. And um, what some people may not realize is when you're in entertainment it really is ingrained in how you identify yourself. So imagine, um, I guess, if how do you like how do you introduce yourself? You know, there's a joke, right? That if someone is vegan, they're gonna let you know because they're gonna be like, "Oh yeah, I'm a vegan." It's gonna be like one of the first things that they tell you, right? That's true for entertainment professionals. They're just gonna be like, "Oh, I'm an acrobat. I'm a performer. I'm a, a dramatist. I'm I'm an, a sound and en- I'm an audio engineer. I'm a rigger. I mean, that's how I introduce myself. I haven't been on a show in you know, a, we're approaching a year now, um, and or we're even approaching a little over a year for me specifically rigging. And I will still introduce myself as, hi, I'm Siobhan Colleen and I'm an entertainment rigger. But now I, you know, I, I teach wind turbine techs how to get out of bad situations. So it's, it's hard when something is very much a part of who you are and how you identify as a person is forced uh, out of your hands, right? So I, I think it's really good that you guys are helping people through this and, and you know, creating that safe space and creating this content. And I think this content also is going to help people who aren't as familiar with what our industry is all about. And, um, you know, it just, it shares, like, I love the the videos of, of stage, of stages being built, right? And you can yes. see it's yes. like a fast forward. It's time a time-lapse. Lapse. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The time-lapse and stage hands are going all over the place and the stage is being built and then the rigging is going up and then they're doing their mic check and the lights are, are they're doing their automated checks and turning on and going through some cues and, and then the show happens and the crowd you know is pouring in like those time-lapse videos are golden and I'm so glad that we're seeing more and more of them come out because it helps show people like hey you see this part being built right here you see this visual this is how I'm involved this is what I mean when I say I'm a stagehand this is what I mean you know so uh, just keep doing what you're doing. And if you guys are tuning in, please, please check out Out of the Arts podcast. Get a hold of Beth, get a hold of Amy and let them know like if you have any questions for them or if you have any like particular content you would like them to create, you know? You said something really interesting about how you introduce yourself. I always introduce myself as one of two things, neither of which is what I'm currently doing. I am either sound designer Beth or teacher Beth. And I guess maybe you could say I'm still teacher Beth, but I, it depends on my situation. Yeah. You are the only person who gets to decide how you, what you call yourself. Mm-hmm. No one gets to decide that for you. It does not matter what you are currently doing. That is not who you are. That is what you are doing. If you are, if I'm sound designer Beth, and I am doing rigging because sound designer Beth can do rigging. I shouldn't do rigging. I haven't done rigging in like 15 years. I should not do rigging. But let's say I'm hanging a speaker. I'm still sound designer Beth. If I'm directing a show because I'm teacher Beth, I'm still sound designer Beth. Maybe I'm teacher Beth. So like, even if, hold on to how you define yourself. Don't feel like even if your career has had a sudden change for whatever reason. Don't feel like you have to let go of however you define yourself because that's you. And if you want to hold on to that, that's for you to do or let go of. I still call myself sound designer Beth. So if that helps anyone feel better about 
however you're identifying yourself. I, I hope it does. Don't feel like you have to just let yourself go or whatever that title is, however you identify yourself. I love it. And I, I hope people reach out to you if they're ever feeling down about themselves. I sure will. And Come on over. I will truly move on. So I, I found a blog post called Getting to Know You. And there's a section, it's the yin and yang section. And I found it super amusing um, because you and uh, Amy are working together on this. And at, in the yin and yang section, it says, Beth is a morning person. Amy is a night owl. You're the talker. She's the writer. You uh, you run marathons and do CrossFit. Uh, heck yeah, girl. And Amy does hikes and does yoga. That's amazing. So you guys are polar opposites and it's super awesome. You approach everything from opposite ends, but it works. You guys are a great team. Anyway, um, do you have any last minute uh, like words of wisdom for any up and coming professionals who are interested in sound design, production management, project management, uh, training and coordination, anything like do you have any any last minute words of wisdom for our listeners? Always be willing to learn, always be willing to fail and always be kind to yourself. You just you had that ready. You you like keep that with you, don't you? That was good. It was really good. Beth, it was such a pleasure having you. Guys, check out the Out of the Arts podcast and um, subscribe to them on YouTube. Subscribe to them wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe to Industry Explorers. We're going to do a giveaway once we reach 100 subscribers. The giveaway is related to rope access and rigging, by the way. Please subscribe to all of us. And until next time, Explorers, I will see you on our next adventure. Take care. Thank you so much to Industry Explorers for letting us share this on Out of the Arts. Make sure to check out Industry Explorers on Instagram and Facebook. And as always, thank you for listening. If you like today's podcast, make sure to subscribe and share. And don't forget to come join the conversation at outofthearts.com. Follow us on social media at Out of the Arts for more resources and support. And be back in places same time next week. The Arts Podcast was created, written, and produced by Beth Partham and Amy Shake because we are super excited to flaunt our awesome transferable skills in any way, shape, and form we can. Audio engineering by Beth Partham and music by Amy Shake because if we're still paying on our student loans, we are definitely going to keep trying to use our degrees in the way they were intended. Out of the Arts Podcast is copyrighted by Out of the Arts LLC 2021.